Destiny City. Destiny City. Destiny City. Destiny City. Destiny City Church, a community of believers committed to helping others find and fulfill their God-given destiny. Come on, how are you? There you go. I am blessed with the best, no stress, and highly favored. That's not just a saying. I mean, that's a reality. That is a reality. I, I, love, I love to get people with that. I mean, it's, it's fun when you go to the grocery store or the post office, wherever you may be, and, and people look at you and say, oh, how you doing? They just kind of casually ask. And I always hit them with it, and they, they're, they're either like, oh, man, I like that, or, or what, huh? Would you say that again? I've even had people write it down. I am blessed with the best, no stress, and highly favored. And, and, and it's true. It's true. I, I don't know about you. I was thinking as we were singing that song about, about oh, how I love Jesus. And there's a, there's a chapter in, in Luke, chapter 7, the story of a man that Jesus went to have lunch with. Y'all remember the story? He was a Pharisee. And Jesus went to have lunch with him. And while he was there, they were, they were having conversation. And this woman comes in off the streets. And she comes up to Jesus while he's reclined at the table eating. And she, be- she kneels down at his feet and she begins to weep. And to wash his feet with her tears and dry his, dry his feet with her hair. And Jesus just continues carrying on his conversation and... And, and the Pharisee, in his mind, says, if this man were a true prophet, he would know what kind of woman this is. Because it says that she was a sinner. Now, there's two kinds of sinners, okay? If you look that up in the Greek, she was a sinner of the most vile kind. That's the kind of sinner she was. She wasn't just a common sinner, you know, that, that might steal a cookie or, or tell a white lie or something like that. She was a woman of the streets. And everybody knew it. She had a reputation. And so when she was there washing his feet, this Pharisee says, if he knew what kind of woman this was, first of all, a rabbi wasn't supposed to be touched by a woman. Okay? Let alone a sinner woman. Let alone a vile sinner woman. And here she is just, just washing his feet and stuff. And Jesus says, Simon, I got a question for you. There was a man... And, and there were two people that owed him money. And one of them, one owed him 50 denarii, which isn't that much. You know, maybe at about a half a day's wages. And the other one owed him 500 denarii, which is quite significantly more. And he forgave them both. Now, I got a question for you, Simon. Which one of them do you think would love him the most? And he says, well, I suppose the one who's been forgiven most. He says, you've answered rightly. He says, when I came in, you didn't... Give me a, you didn't wash my feet. You didn't give me a kiss. But this woman, since she came in, she has not stopped washing my feet with her tears and kissing my feet. Simon, she knows what real love is. And when we were, we were worshiping the Lord, I was just thinking, Lord, I love you so much. Because if you only knew... If you could read my rap sheet, folks, it would just... You would say, he's a sinner... Of the vilest kind. And, and some of you know what I'm talking about. You know what I'm talking about. You, if you could read my story, you would say, this guy, if you were a true God, you could never forgive somebody like that. But he did. 
He did. His blood can make the vilest sinner clean. And that's what Jesus has done for me. And I love him, folks. And I'm not ashamed to say it. I'm not ashamed to lift my hands and tell him how much I love him, no matter where I'm at, what I'm doing. You know, people in my neighborhood probably think I'm crazy because I walk down the street with my iPhone in my pocket with music going, singing, worshiping the Lord, and that's okay. My dogs know what I'm doing. They're cool with it. But I love Jesus. You love him this morning? How much do you love him? Amen. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Amen. Well, that's, that's message number one. You don't have to take notes on that one. Just put it in your... I want to just say we, are, we have an ongoing um, membership classes that we do every other month. They're just two classes. We, we do it the first and second Sunday of the month. And we do it at 6 o'clock in the evening in, in the, one of the rooms here. I think it's 106 or 107. And we use this little book called I Am a Church Member. And what it does is it basically talks about what real church membership is about. It's not so much putting your name on a roll. It's about being a functioning member of the body of Christ. Using your gifts and, and, and the things that God has put in your hands to enhance the kingdom of God. That's really what it's all about. And so this morning we're going to be welcoming new members who have gone through this class and not only understand it, but have already, even before some of them read this book, begin to practice what it was talking about. They know. They know what it's really about to, to be a member of the body of Christ. It's not so much about being a member of Destiny City. This is just where you're plugged in. This is where we operate, work together. You know, we're, we're just here. We're just a bunch of, we're in fellowship. What fellowship is, is a bunch of people in the same boat. You know, a bunch of fellows in the same ship. So that's what we are. We're just a bunch of fellows in the same ship. We're, we're going in the same direction. And some of you said, I like what you're doing here, and I want to be a part of it. So I want to join up with what you're doing here at Destiny City. And so with that being said this morning, before we get too far along, and lest I forget, because my wife won't let me, but uh, I want to give time for the message this morning. But I would like for those who have gone through the Purple Book, or the Purple Book, the New Members Book, that's another book, that's another good one. Um, by the way, Denise did a fantastic job in there this morning, and it's always good, but anyway. Um, for those of you who have gone through the I Am a Church Member class and have a desire to become members this morning of Destiny City, I want to ask you to just, call, just get up from where you are and come on up. And we're going to welcome you into the fellowship this morning. And for those of you who want to be a part of Destiny City and you've yet to go through the class, we ask this for everybody. My wife and I went through it because we want to set the precedence. You know, it, well, I won't ask you to do anything that we're not willing to do ourselves. So we went through it ourselves, and, and I, I'll be honest with you, I learned a lot of good stuff from this book about church membership. So I won't say any more about it. I'll just invite you to come and, and, uh, and find out when the classes are and connect and, and go through them. It's just two Sunday nights. It's not asking a lot. But anyway, these folks have gone through it. More than that, they have exemplified what it means to become a part of the body, to be a part of a fellowship. And some of them you look at and say, well, I thought these guys were already members. Well, they act like it. I mean, they're functioning members. So they're just making it official, that's all. So uh, with that being said, I just want you to stand this morning, and I want you with me. We're going to just extend our hands to them. And, and of course, we'll have plenty of opportunity after the service to, to go up and give them a handshake, a hug, a high five, or whatever you want to do. You know, some people, they're, they're kind of uh, OCD, I guess. You know, they'll, 
stick out their hand and do this. And that's okay. I mean, that's, that's what you got to do. But some people are grabbed you, man, like they're going to tackle you or something. And that's okay, too. I mean, we're, we're a huggy bunch around here. We love to hug, and, and um, it's, it's just a part of who we are. It's just our expression of love. And so uh, with that being said, I just want you to stretch your hands toward them. We're going to pray over them, each of these. Father, we just thank you. We thank you, Lord, that you have called us to be a family. And Lord, Destiny City is a family, Lord. And and Father, our purpose, our goal is to help others to find and fulfill their God-given destiny. With that thought in mind, Lord, I pray over each of them, Father. And I pray that we, as members of this body, Lord, would welcome them and, and envelop them. And encourage them, Lord, and pray for them and strengthen them. And help them to do that very thing, to find and fulfill their God-given destiny in you. Lord, and we know that there are men and women in this group that are going to change the world. Some are already changing the world in their corner where they live. And so, Father, we just thank you for that. And we thank you, Lord, for, for, for their contributions to the kingdom of God. And, Lord, to this family, their dedication, their love. And, Lord, we want to, ex- to exhibit the same toward them. And so, Father, we as a body of believers pledge to this group that are joining this fellowship this morning that we envelop you with our arms of love and grace and we just extend the right hand of fellowship to you and we want you to know that we love you and appreciate you. And so, Father, we just ask you, Lord God, for your blessings upon this service today, Lord, as we welcome them into the body. And, Lord, we just thank you, Father, that you have gifted each of them and help us, Father, to help them to do the very thing you've called us to do to find and fulfill their God-given destiny in you. We pray in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Give the Lord a hand clap of praise. Amen. Amen. So I want you to notice who these folks are here this morning so that when we, when we go back in the back, this, this, uh, right after the service, when we begin to eat, they get to go first, okay? They get to go first. And so when you see them go first, you'll know that they're the ones that were up here. Then I want you to go and welcome them, extend the right hand of fellowship. We won't take the time to do that right now because we've got a lot of stuff going on this morning. So with that being said, let's just give them one more hand clap of praise. God bless you, folks. We love you. Amen. Welcome to the family. Amen. <laughs> praise the Lord. You may be seated. Now is another very wonderful time that we have every week, every service, and that's an opportunity to give to the Lord. You know, that's as much a part of worship as raising our hands or anything else. We worship the Lord with our giving, and we have something that we believe about giving. I'm going to ask Rachel to put that up on the, the, the screen for us this morning. And as we give, there are some things that we believe about giving. And I want you to say them with me because the more we say these things, the more it gets down in our spirit. I don't want to just go here and get stuck. I want it to get down inside of you at the very core of your being as to why you give to the Lord. Because there it is. As I give, I believe that the God who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will multiply and increase the fruit of whatever I sow today. That giving is an act of worship to be done willingly, cheerfully, and generously. That the Lord will cause his blessings to come upon me and overtake me as the windows of heaven are open. 
Therefore, I will honor the Lord with the first fruits of all my increase. So shall my barns be filled with plenty, and my presses shall burst out with new wine. Amen. That's what we believe about giving. If you believe that, give the Lord a hand clap of praise. Amen. Amen. Now, when you give that frame of mind, it makes giving so much easier, doesn't it? It makes giving fun. And the Lord loves what kind of giver? A cheerful giver. Not a fearful or a tearful giver, but a cheerful giver. So I'm going to give you the opportunity this morning to give as you believe. So ushers, would you come? And we're going to wait upon you as our ushers come. And and as soon as you've uh, given this morning, you can turn in your Bibles to Daniel chapter 5, because that's where we're going to be this morning. So, Father, we thank you for the opportunity to cooperate with you in advancing the kingdom. And we know, Lord, that you have provided fertile soil where we can plant the seed that you put into our hands. And so, Lord, we take the seed that you have given and we sow it into the kingdom. And we know, Father, as we release it unto you that the windows of heaven are open and that blessings are released unto us. So we receive those blessings, Father, and we thank you for them. And we thank you for the seed that you put into our hand. And we sow it with cheerfulness and with faith and confidence in you. Lord, that you're going to do the things that we said. Lord, that you said you would do, that you would open up the windows of heaven and pour out blessings, that our barns would be filled with plenty, that our vats will burst forth with new wine. And Lord, we just thank you for it. Lord, as we give the first fruits of what you've given to us, we thank you, Father, for the opportunity to act in faith. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. God bless you as you give. Amen. Praise the Lord. Well, many... Folks have been asking me the question, and I can't answer it, but I'm going to let Daddy answer the question this morning. When are we going to get to meet Josie Grace? I don't know. <laughs> you don't know. <laughs> okay, they're on their way here. Oh, excitement. Praise the Lord. Yeah. We'll see. We will see. I think uh, we said we we're going to set up a room and take appointments. <laughs> no, not really. She is a baby doll. She's, it's so exciting. And, and, and uh, our kids' church, if you have children, you brought them in with you this morning. If, if, uh, she's here. Woo! Bring her up here. Everybody wants to see her. We'll see you too. We haven't seen Jess in several, several weeks now. So she's coming. She's going to bring the baby, let you take a look at her. You might want to. She's, she has gained weight, by the way. She's Josie Grace. Josie Grace has gained weight. Let me clarify that. Not, not just Josie. Yeah. I'll let Pop Pop see her. Okay. Hey, yes, sweetie. <laughs> yes. She's sucking her thumb. I don't know where she got that from. <laughs> Exciting times here. Yeah, we're growing the church quickly. We have, uh, also have another new member of the family. She's not here this morning. Jessica and uh, let's see, Mark's and Nancy's niece, right? Where are you? Okay. She's over here? Okay, you're back here. Okay. Is, she, is Jessica back there? No? Okay. They had a, they had a little girl. 10 pounds, a little over 10 pounds, little girl, and uh, so anyway, 7 pounds, no, 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 not, not, 
purse. Her seven pounds? Okay. Okay. I can't see you back there. Can't even read your lips. Okay. All right, turn to Daniel chapter 5. With all that being said, it's exciting. Daniel chapter 5. I'm not going to read the whole chapter, but uh, I want you there so you can kind of encapsulate what's being said. It would take some time, but uh, it's the story of, of Belshazzar, Belshazzar, who was a co-regent with Nebuchadnezzar, who was the, the king of Babylon, and he was several generations beyond after Nebuchadnezzar. Now, we've been talking about Daniel because not so much to get into end-time prophecy and those kind of things, but more about the character of the man, Daniel. Our title, the series title, has been Like Daniel. And uh, I think Jeremy talked about Daniel last, uh, last week while I was gone, or a week before last. He talked about Daniel and how he honored the king. Like Daniel, honor those that are over you and show honor to people around you. But this week, I want to talk about, like Daniel, read the handwriting on the wall. Read the handwriting on the wall. Now, Belshazzar, as I said, was the ruler with his father, Nebuchadnezzar, who was the direct descender of Nebuchadnezzar. And several generations had passed since Nebuchadnezzar had reigned, but David was still alive, or Daniel was still alive and well, but he was well advanced in years. Now, Daniel served in Babylon for 66 years, 66 years. So he was a young man when he was taken from Judah and brought to Babylon by Nebuchadnezzar and, and, and trained as a Babylonian, given a Babylonian name and put into the, the king's court. Daniel served with integrity. The thing that stands out about Daniel to me is this. Daniel showed the character of God wherever they put him whatever position they put him in. He didn't, his character never changed. He was always the same. And the reason why I did this, this, uh, this series on Daniel was because I was praying and I was asking the Lord, Lord, what should I, what should I tell the people? What should I be like during the, the season that we're in? The political climate that we're in, the social climate we're in, the way things are in our world today. How should we be in these last days? And, and I was looking for someone who would provide the kind of example that we need in the times that we're living in. And the Holy Spirit just spoke to me. He said, be like Daniel. Be like Daniel. So I go to the book of Daniel and I start reading the book of Daniel over and over and over and over again to find out what Daniel was really like. Now we know about the prophecies and the things that Daniel spoke. He was one of the major prophets. In other words, whatever he, had, whatever he said has major impacts. Not only in the day that he lived in, uh, or, but in the days to come. The things that Daniel say are weighty. So what was, what was really stood out to me wasn't so much the things that he said, but the things that he did. The kind of person he was. Now Daniel had served all of these kings down through the years. The first there was, there was Nebuchadnezzar. Then there was, um, <coughs> excuse me, Nebuchadnezzar. And um, then after that. There was, um, there were several others that had, had, uh, had ruled after him. But, uh, well, let's see, there was Nebuchadnezzar. He was succeeded by Evil Morodach, who was succeeded by his brother-in-law, uh, Neriglasser, who was followed by Labishai Marduk, who was then succeeded by Nebuchadnezzar. And this is, uh, Belshazzar was his son, and his son co-reigned with him. Now, Belshazzar was not 
the king per se. He was the king's son who reigned with his father and his father had apparently left him in Babylon to rule and to, to keep things going while he had probably gone and history says that he had gone to open up the trade routes that had been, had been closed by the, uh, by the Medes and the, and the Persians. And so Belshazzar was left behind to take care of business and Belshazzar had not known the God of Daniel like his grandfather's great-grandfather Nebuchadnezzar had known. Nebuchadnezzar grew to know God out of uh, observing Daniel and out of, out of his own pride and, and the things in his own life. You know, he had been given opportunities several times to really come to know God. And in his mind, he knew the God of Daniel. He recognized him. And he said, of Daniel, he says, your God is the God of gods. But he still didn't give his heart to God. In his mind, he knew who he was. And even when Daniel gave him the last prophecy and he said to him that, that you know, you're, you, he, he saw the, the, the huge uh, tree. And you remember the, the last time I preached, he saw the tree and the tree was, had grown so big and all the beasts of the field and everything came and took shade in it and the birds of the air fed from it. And, and Daniel said, this is you, Nebuchadnezzar. He said, God has raised you up and you become great. And you're, you're the greatest ruler over all the earth at that time he was but he said that because of your pride you're going to be taken down and he was but he said there's going to be a root that are left and he said there was a band put around the root in his dream and his vision that he saw and Daniel said that this is you Nebuchadnezzar says you're going to be put out to pasture so to speak you're going to eat grass like a cow for a period of seven years the dew of heaven is going to fall upon you and 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 it says that that very night he went mad. He went, he just lost his mind and went insane. And, and they took him out of the, the palace. And the only way they knew to deal with him was to put him out in a pasture. So they put him out in a pasture. And it says for seven years he lived that way. But then he came to his senses. And after he came to his senses, he was restored to his kingdom. And after he was restored to his kingdom, then he stood up and he made a proclamation. He says, he says from this, on, this time forward, we're going to acknowledge the most high God. Daniel's God. No one will say anything against Daniel's God. Nobody will, will come against Daniel's God. But he never acknowledged him as what? His God. But he acknowledged Daniel's God. So this is several generations later. And Belshazzar, who didn't know about the God of Daniel, who had forgotten about the God of Daniel, had forgotten about Nebuchadnezzar and his experiences, though they had been chronicled in the Chronicles of Babylon, he didn't didn't seem to acknowledge it. And it kind of reminds me of the climate that we live in today. When we have forgotten God. And the, and the Bible is very clear. And it says that the nations that forget God shall be turned into hell. That righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. And our nation and our, spirit, and our national spiritual climate today is, is dead. Because in our government, we don't acknowledge the God that we once knew. The God that we relied upon in the establishment of our nation. We don't acknowledge Him. And it reminds me so much of that. And that's the political and social climate that we live in today. Just like it was in the time of Belshazzar. Now what did Belshazzar do? Well, <coughs> excuse me. Belshazzar... In his pride, 
just totally disregarded God and, and he decided to have a party. And when he had this party, he invited a thousand of his nobles and, and he started drinking wine with them and that wasn't enough. Then he sends someone to get the, the, the utensils that were used in temple worship in Jerusalem and have them brought into his palace and then they begin to drink from the sacred cups that had been used by the priest in worshiping God. And as they're drinking from the cups and making merry and everybody's just having a grand old time, it says all of a sudden, the fingers of a man appeared and they begin to write in the plaster on the wall. And Belshazzar saw it. And it says that all of a sudden, Belshazzar sobered up. It doesn't say that, but I'm implying that. What would you do? It says that he stood up and his knees began to knock together. And he started yelling, get me somebody to tell me what this means. So he calls all of his diviners and his astrologers and his wise men. And he asks them all the question, what does this mean? He said, if somebody can tell me what this means, I will give you anything. You will be clothed in purple. You will be given up to a third of the kingdom. He couldn't give him half because he didn't actually own half the kingdom. He was only in charge of... He was second in command. So he could only give up to a third. He says, so I give up to a third of the kingdom. To anybody can tell me what this means. And nobody could do it. But the queen mother. And I don't know if that was his grandmother, great grandmother. It wasn't his wife because his wife was drinking wine with him. His wives. I don't know which one. But the queen mother says... Do you remember your grandfather Nebuchadnezzar? There was a man that was in his court by the name of Daniel. And he could interpret dreams. God gave him wisdom concerning dreams. And if you call him, maybe he can tell you what this means. So they send somebody to get Daniel. And I imagine they knew where to find him. Especially if it was a certain time of the day. Because there were three times a day that Daniel would go into his little quarters and he would get on his knees and he would begin to pray to the God of heaven the most high God so they know where to find Daniel so they go get Daniel and they bring him in and the king says can you tell me what that means he said if you can tell me what it means you will be clothed in purple and you will be given up to a third of the kingdom I'll give you anything you want just tell me what that means and Daniel said look I don't need your stuff Give it to somebody else. But I'm going to tell you what it means. I'm going to tell you what it means. And written on the wall were these words. Many, many, tekel yufarsin. Many, many tekel farsin. Some, some texts say yufarsin, some say farsin. Well, what does it mean? Well, Daniel knew what it meant. And he began to tell him. He says, many, many means that you have been weighed in the balance. You've been weighed in the balance. God has numbered your kingdom and, just, and finished it. <laughs> many. Okay, now what's the next one? Many, many tekel. And you've been weighed in the balance, tekel, 
Tekel means you have been weighed on the balances and have not measured up. Farson means divided. Your kingdom has been divided and given to the, Mede, the Medes and the Persians. And I begin to think about this in, in the light of where we are. And what does this mean to us today? Many, many Tekel Yefarsin. We've been weighed in the balance. We live in a divided nation. We are divided in ourselves. We come from several different groups of folks. And some folks believe that if we're good enough, that we're good enough in ourselves, if we obey the law, that that's enough. That that's our ticket to heaven. Some folks believe that if we're baptized into a certain organization and we carry the certificate with us, that will get us into heaven. Some folks believe that that, uh, you know, if, 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 uh, if I give enough money here and I do enough good works here and all these things, then, then they're going to balance out. And if I do more than I do bad, do more good than I do bad, then that's going to tip the scales in my favor and I'll get to go to heaven. But that's not what the Bible teaches because each of us, each of us have been divided in ourselves. What that means is that, that each one of us were born into sin. Each one of us. We were born into sin. We were created in the image of God, but we were born into sin. What does that mean? That each one of us have a sin nature. So we're divided in ourselves. Paul talked about it. Paul talked about it in Romans chapter 7. He says, O wretched man that I am, who, who shall deliver me from this body of sin? He said, the things that I want to do are the things I don't want to do. The things I don't want to do are the things that I do. He said, I'm just messed up. I don't know which way to go. But then in Romans 8 and 1, he says, but there's therefore now no condemnation under them who are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh but after the Spirit. So how do we tip the scales in our favor? We can't. There's nothing in ourselves that we can do to tip the scales in our favor. The only thing that we can do is trust the grace of God. The grace of God is the thing that tips the scales in our favor. And what can we do to make ourselves good enough. We've been weighed in the balance. We've been weighed in all the things that we do. There's nothing we can do for us. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says that for by grace you are saved, not of yourselves, not of works, lest any man should boast. There's nothing in ourselves that we can do that would be good enough to merit our entrance into the kingdom of God. There's nothing that we can do except one thing. For you, by grace you are saved through faith, that are not of yourselves. It's not of works lest any man should boast. So the only thing that we can do is trust in the grace of God by faith. We were talking about that this morning in the, in the foundations class, in the purple book class. Talking about, you know, what is produced out of the spiritual birth. The fruit of the spirit. And the only thing that can produce the fruit of the spirit in our lives is the seed of the spirit inside of us, Right? Because whatever seed is sown inside of us or whatever seed we sow into the ground, that's what it's going to come out of it, right? That's why Jesus said no good, no, 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 uh, good fruit is going to come from a bad tree, right? No good fruit will come from a bad tree. And no bad fruit will come from a good tree. What does it take? It takes a good tree. It takes good fruit. It takes good seed to produce good fruit. How can we do that in ourselves? We can't. Because... The Bible says we were shapen in iniquity. The Bible says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. See, that's what caused the scales to be balanced against us. You've been weighed in the balance and found wanting. 
all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But I like what Romans 6.23 says, but the wages of sin is death. So anything that we do in our sinful nature to try to get right with God doesn't work. All it does is add to our sin. It adds to our detriment. It just adds to the scale. But, the Bible says, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. See how he tips the scale. How he brings things back in our favor. That's why I can say that when somebody asks me, how you doing? Well, I'm blessed with the best, no stress, and highly favored because I'm living in the favor of God. Not for, because of any other reason. Not because I'm a good guy, but because Jesus in me is good. Because he has tipped the scales. I was found wanting. There was nothing in me that could make me good enough for God to want me. I don't know about y'all, but I came to that realization one night. I was uh, 20 years of age. And I lived a pretty rebellious life up until that point. I mean, when I was 10, 12 years old, up until then, I, I did my best. You know what I'm talking about? I was a good kid. I tried not to lie. I tried not to steal. I tried not, but you know, as much as I tried, I did some. You know what I'm talking about? It wasn't I just overtly did it. It's just that, you know, sometimes you try to cover something up. Did you do that? No, I didn't do it. And I put on the angel face and sometimes I get by with it. You know what I'm saying? And, and once I get by, I'm thinking, ha, escape that one. But there's somebody who knows. Somebody who knows. But up until that time, I tried. And then I was faced with my own sinfulness at one point and had to come to grips with it. And, and, and I tried my best to overcome the things in my life which I knew were really bad. And I just couldn't do it. It seemed like the harder I tried, the worse I became until I became just, you know, I finally just threw up my hands and I gave up. And I just became very rebellious. And so for a period of time in my life, it wasn't long, I was only 20 years old when I gave my life to Christ, but you can only imagine, you know. I, 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 I finally just busted the cookie jar and stole all the cookies, you know what I'm talking about. You finally just get tired of trying, you just go out and you do all these stuff, and I sowed my wild oats and all that stuff, and, and it got to the point in my life, and I felt like I had rejected God. And one night I came to the realization that I was being weighed in the balance, and I was found wanting. And I was asking myself the question, is there anybody who loves me? Anybody ever ask yourself that question? Is there anybody who really loves me? You know, we think about me and we think about, oh gosh, is there anybody who could really love somebody like me because I've become such a scoundrel? I don't know how anybody could do it, you know? It's just, that's just what I felt. I was like, nobody can love somebody like me and really love me. But then I saw John 3.16 in my mind for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life that became a truth and reality to me that God tipped the scale in my favor that Jesus died in my place that he bore my sins at Calvary not his own he bore mine it wasn't the evil things that he had did that put him there. It's the things that I did that put him there. And when I, by faith, accepted that, it's like the scales balanced out. A wonderful reality happened in my life that night, and I gave my life to Christ. Now, here's the thing. Daniel was called a wise man. 
along with all the others. But the thing about Daniel and all the administrations that he served under, all the way from Nebuchadnezzar all the way down to Belshazzar, and even after Belshazzar, you know, after that there was Darius the Mede and Cyrus the Persian, and he served in their, 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 their kingdoms also. But he served all these years. And the one thing that was always said about Daniel was that everybody that knew him says that in him was the spirit of the gods. And that was pretty high stuff to be said about anybody, especially in the mind of the Babylonian because there were a lot of gods. But they recognized in Daniel the spirit of the chief god. That his God was above all the other gods because of all the things that he could do in Daniel. And everybody saw it and everybody recognized it. Now what, does pe- what do people recognize in you when they see you? What about your God? Does your God have power? Does your God have ability? Does your God have saving power? Does your God have keeping power? Does your God have the ability to change you? And change things around you? Does your God have the ability to provide all of your needs? Is your God a God who can be trusted? These are the things you've got to ask yourself. This, this is the kind of God that Daniel served. The thing about Daniel was he persevered during all of those administrations. He lived in the pressures of, of having to produce before all of these kings and everything else. And, and actually Daniel was third in command in the kingdoms and all, the, all, the, all of the kingdoms that he served under, he was always third in command under the king and under his governors and his satraps. So Daniel was a man of integrity. He was a man who, who everybody recognized, but he quietly went about his affairs. And one thing Daniel would not budge on, one thing he would not fudge on was that he was going to pray, no matter what it cost him. Remember? Remember? And finally it was called into question and somebody said, we're going to find out if he really, really trusts this God that he says he does. And, and later on, you know, we can, we can, we'll get into that, but we're not going to do that today. But Daniel was a man who stood and he persevered during all of these things. And even when the king, when Belshazzar said to him, if you can interpret what this means, I'll give you anything you ask, even up to a third of the kingdom. What did he say? You keep it. I don't need it. You see, that's where you and I have got to be. We cannot be bought. We cannot be bought. Our integrity cannot be bought at any price. Because we have already been bought. The Bible says, you have been bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your bodies, which is the Lord's. We've already been bought. So if we've already been bought, we belong to him. We can't be sold, right? You cannot sell yourself out to the things of this world. I will not. I will not. No matter what it costs me. Daniel would not either. He would not sell out. And so when Belshazzar asked him those questions, Daniel says, I'll tell you what it means, but you keep your stuff. How could he tell him what it means? How can you tell the world what it means? How can you tell the world about Jesus if you don't have Christ yourself? If you don't have the power of God within you. Paul said this in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 4 through 14. I'm going to read it to you. He says, he says, and my message and my preaching were very plain. Now, Paul, uh, De, uh, Daniel told the, thing, the king the things that were happening by the Spirit of God. That's the only way he knew what was going on. It was given to him by the Holy Spirit. The same for you and me. And the same for Paul. Paul says, my message and my preaching were very plain. But rather using 
rather than using clever and persuasive speeches, I relied only on the power of the Holy Spirit. I did so, I did this so you would not trust in human wisdom, but in the power of God. What are we trusting in? Yet, when I am among mature believers, I do speak with, with the words of wisdom, but not of the kind of wisdom that belongs to this world or to the rulers of this world who are soon forgotten. No, the wisdom we speak of is the mystery of God. His plan was previously hidden, even though it made for our ultimate glory before the world began. But the rulers of this world have not understood it. Think about that. They have not read the handwriting on the wall. They don't understand. Even in our government today, they don't understand. When one says, I'll change it this way, and one says, I will change it this way, neither one says, I'll change it by the power of God. We still don't understand. God holds this kingdom. He holds this world in the palm of his hand. Psalm 24 and 1 says, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof and all, everybody say all, all they that dwell therein. In Psalm chapter 2, it talks about the kings of this world who rail against God and the fools of this world who say that it doesn't exist and, and it has no power and it has no authority. And you know what it says about God? It said God sits above the heavens and he laughs. He laughs at the derision, the foolishness of their thinking. And so they couldn't read the handwriting on the wall and neither have our official governmental officials or anybody else understood the handwriting on the wall. He said if they would have understood the handwriting on the wall, they would not have crucified our glorious Lord. And that's what the scriptures say, mean when they say, no eye has seen nor has ear has heard and no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. But it was revealed to us that God revealed these things, how? By his spirit. For the Spirit searches out everything and shows us God's deep secrets. No one can know a person's thoughts except that person's own spirit. And no one can know God's thoughts except God's own spirit. And we have received God's spirit, not the world's spirit, so that we can know the wonderful things that God has freely given us. When we tell you these things, we do not use words that come from human wisdom. Instead, we speak words that given to us by the Spirit, using the Spirit's words to explain spiritual truths. But people who aren't spiritual can't receive these truths from God's Spirit. It sounds foolish to them. They can't understand it. For only those who are spiritual can understand what the Spirit means. Think about that for just a moment. No wonder the world doesn't get it. And we can't make the world get it. We can't make those around the world. There's only one way that folks will get it is when they're introduced to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and they have the Spirit of God inside them. I couldn't understand the love of God until I experienced it. I couldn't understand the grace of God until I experienced it. I couldn't understand the goodness of God until I experienced it. I was always touched by it. But now I really appreciate it. I can really understand the goodness of God because it is spiritually discerned. Daniel knew the, the mind of God because he spent time in his presence receiving divine revelation from him. And he knew what the words meant. Now, here's what the handwriting on the wall means for us. Our days are numbered. Hebrews 9, 27, it says, Just as each person is destined to die once and after that comes the judgment. 
We are weighed, Romans 3.23, for everyone is sinned and all fall short of the glory of God's glorious standard. We are divided, 2 Corinthians 5.10, for we must all stand before the judgment seat of Christ to be judged. We will each receive whatever we deserve for the good or evil we have done in this earthly body. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And Titus 3.5 says this, Not by works of righteousness that we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit. That being said, the mercies of God is the thing and the grace of God is the thing that's tipped the balance in our favor. Acts 4.12 said there's no there's salvation in no one else. God has given us no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. And we sang that song this morning. We sang that word. What was it? Jesus. There's only one name given among men whereby we must be saved. Muhammad can't save you. Nobody else can save you. Only Jesus. Only Jesus. He's the one that tips the balance of the scales in our favor. And the finger of God has written your name, not on a wall, but in a book called the Lamb's Book of Life. The finger of God has written your name there if you've given your life to Jesus, if you have repented of your sins, if you've asked him to come into your heart. Your name is written in that book. And the Bible says in Revelation 22 that in heaven, John saw a book and the book was open. And in that book were the names of all of those who would confess Jesus Christ as their Lord. Is your name in that book? The handwriting on the wall no longer applies to you, but the handwriting in the book does. Is your name in that book? If, you ha- if your name's in that book, the, the scales have been tilted in your favor. That's the question we got to ask, ask ourselves. Is my name written in that book? Would you bow your heads? Father, we thank you this morning that... You've been listening to Destiny City Church, a community of believers committed to helping others find and fulfill their God-given destiny. For more information, visit us online at destinycity.org.